Hello and welcome to a relentless episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your Cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. And today we're bringing to you part two of the socially obligated Halloween horror movie trilogy with 2014's It Follows. But before we do, let's go ahead and check in on the shop. Hey man, I'm almost at the shop, and uh, I got the toaster you requested. Yeah, perfect, man. Just uh, uh, pull pull around back. Hey man, I uh, went ahead and put some cream cheese in the fridge. What the hell are you doing? Cream cheese? Why'd you bring cream cheese? Toast. Did bagels, but I'm clearly asking you about the dumpster full of water. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. So check this out. I am so sick and tired of the local wildlife messing around back here, fucking opening our boxes and shit. So listen, I came up with a plan. All right, as you can see, I've got this plank across the dumpster, and uh, so I, got, I sawed it almost in half. And see, this hot dog, because the hot dog, of course, is going to be the bait. Mm-hmm. Of course the hot dog's gonna be the bait, because that that was going to be my lunch. So I assume the toaster that you had me bring... No, I'm glad falls... you asked. I'm glad you asked. You give, give, it, give it to me. Oh, okay. All right. So, as you get, I've got this extension cord running over here. I'm gonna plug this bad boy up, and when this critter gets to the hot dog, the plank is gonna collapse, and then boom, he's in the water, which in turn is gonna trigger the toaster, which is gonna be suspended by this cable. It's gonna drop into the water and zip. Problem solved. Um, couldn't we just, I don't know, try and trap it in a box? <sighs> Shit, all right. Well, let's go get a box and review it follows. A young woman's relationship ends abruptly after finding she was being courted in an effort to divert the attention of a murderous sex demon. After coming to terms with the curse, she must decide if she will confront that which hunts her, pass the curse and continue the chain, or accept death as her inescapable fate. Alrighty, Travis. We're gonna get into some five points of inspection. Homage. Out of time. Survival of the strongest. Last summer, and my favorite, living with a sex demon. But before we do, you want to give me a quick, uh, quick diagnostic here? Yeah, absolutely. I know you said that this came out in 2014. I didn't see it until much later, probably 2016. But as soon as I saw it, it was easily a top five horror movie for me, which, I mean, it's not saying much because horror is not really my genre. And usually it's because I hate jump scares. So my favorite scary movies are atmospheric and have you thinking about them later and not necessarily just the cheap scares, which I think this movie does perfectly. That being said, again, I know we talk about it all the time through a more critical eye. I do see some problems and some shortcomings. So I wonder if it's due to budget, but we'll talk about that. So what about you? 
Uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I am in the same boat. I'm not a huge horror person. I definitely don't like slasher films and stuff like that. Um, I kind of think that they're gaudy and just like there's not a whole lot of point to them other than just kind of being, you know, uh, smut. Um, but I did enjoy this movie. Um, you know, funny with Halloween, of course, being with a bunch of horror movies. I, uh, I do appreciate what the director was doing with this one because I'll just go ahead and jump into our five points. Um, clear watching this whole thing very much to me an homage to the the classic horror movies like um friday the 13th and the way that you know john carpenter very much put the it was john carpenter right who did the original no that's halloween am i thinking of halloween i am thinking I'm of halloween sure i are. am thinking of halloween not friday the 13th i have halloween in my notes as yes. well yes so yes friday the 13th is jason I'm on Elm Street is Freddy. Okay, so yes, I'm talking uh, Halloween, Michael Myers. So uh, John Carpenter very much used the shots to kind of always put like the Michael Myers off camera or like just barely on it where like, you know, you never knew quite where the the villain or the antagonist of the movie was. And you can definitely see a lot of that in this movie where, you know, the wide angle lens where again, it gives this giant scope and the the idea of the, the sex demon can take the, you know, the image of anybody like it's this constant pursuit and you know you as the audience there's so much tension in the movie because of the way it is shot like i just i think it it is refreshing to see a movie that goes kind of back to that classic storytelling when it goes to horror because i think those are very effective and even though halloween you know did have and even this has kind of its i guess you could say slasher areas where like people are just brutally murdered um and some kind of grotesque scenes ultimately i think at the end of the day it is just it pays a wonderful homage to to the the classic horror of like the 80s yeah and you mentioned freddy and nightmare on elm street and of course halloween but both those movies also have that suburban neighborhood setting i mean for god's sake nightmare on elm street kind of tells you the setting and not only does the camera work evoke those movies but the setting um does a good job of paying homage to that while not just being a tired ripoff. I feel like the director has a lot in mind to do that's new, mm -hmm. but kind of set it in something we're more comfortable with. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, um, will be a, a quick point of inspection there. I just, you know, I always like to well, real quick. I, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you as far as homage, did you see any of the shining in here? I mean, we reviewed it last week. I was just curious if you saw any comparisons cause I have at least one. Okay, go ahead and tell me what your one is. Okay, well, really, I have two, but I'll, I'll give you the less obvious one. Okay. I feel like some of the forms that you say the sex demon, I was just going to call it it, but I think sex demon will be a more fun podcast. <laughs> some of the forms the sex demon take kind of evoked the shining in the way at that those last, we didn't necessarily like it in the shining where all the random ghosts were showing up. Mm -hmm. But I got a little bit of that vibe with... I don't know if the randomness of the sex demons appearances and I mean, we'll get into, they're not all random, but I thought that was a good payback to the shining. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, cause I want to make a comparison. I just don't think it's there about, you know, cause in the shining, it wasn't as unsettling when you had the nude woman there, obviously when she turned into the old, um, basically deteriorating corpse, that's unsettling. But a lot of the nudity in this movie is like a lot of the shots. It's just it's unsettling, like how slow the person's moving. And especially when you find out like most of the naked characters, not all, but most of them are like a naked reflection of 
the the pursuees like uh mother or father and it's just like so much of the sex demon when it actually comes time to to murder its target it winds up taking the form of its you know the the pursuits like mother or father and it's just like again it's just a very creepy thing um which again i i appreciate because it is just incredibly unsettling the the thought of like you being basically um sex murdered by your you know who you would expect to be the person that would protect you the most in life right your your parents so it's uh yeah it's it's very interesting in that regard so tell me what the more subtle shining reference you you found well i wouldn't say subtle but i think a lot of the camera work owes something to kubrick's the shining Mm -hmm. just the way the director holds shots for kind of an uncomfortably long time especially you know, even in 2014 when this came out, I still feel like we were well into the quick cut mm-hmm. cinema and horror specifically. And this movie shies away from that, which I think is what Kubrick used to build tension. And I think it works for this movie. I'm not saying to the same degree, mm-hmm. but it still works. I don't I don't know what you think having a more technical eye. Oh, for sure. And what I really love about it is like there's a lot of times where the shots have nothing to do with the characters like the character almost winds up being the setting that it's in like one of my favorite shots in the entire movie is when they're getting the the lowdown on hugh aka jeff and they're at the school and basically you kind of see jay go into like you know the office assistant to find out more and as she's walking in it just does a very slow 360 pan and it's like that whole shot is just again setting up the atmosphere that it could be anywhere even then like so much of it is like in the background. Do you see something like as the audience, like, oh my God, there's somebody slowly walking out of focus. Is is that it? Is that the creature? Is it is it gonna come up on them? Like and creating that tension where again it is these slow shots where again, and I think maybe that that's where the benefit of, you know, the the it, the sex demon, it can't run, you know, it has to it's basically a modest walk is how you're being pursued as long as you were its target. And it allows, I think, some of those longer shots to really be effective because you're essentially trailing it at this pace where you're like, oh my, it's, it's uncomfortable how slowly it's moving, knowing that it's relentless and not going to stop. Um, my I'm other- glad you mentioned mm-hmm. the background stuff because this has a lot of rewatchability because there are so many scenes that I noticed the same thing. If you just kind of look off focus, there's oftentimes people walking towards the camera, which is not extraordinary mm-hmm. to see. But the context of this movie, you're always wondering. The entire, be- after the initial death of the girl, which I thought was interesting that, you know, her character, she's running in red heels and in like a silk kind of pajamas, which to me is almost that classic trope, which I think contrasts how modest the rest of the characters are, where this isn't basically almost demonizing sex. Like, oh my God, it's this, you know, this slut's getting killed, like in, you know, a lot of horror or anything like that. But um, not to diverge, but the entire sequence in which Hugh, aka Jeff, and Jay are on that date, everything he says is something like when you rewatch the movie, it all it has completely new context. Like when he's talking about, oh, you know, when the the guess game where Jay tries to guess if he could change places with anybody, he says, oh, it's the kid because the kid has his entire life ahead of him, and you're like, oh man, I knowing what as Jeff is going through right now, that whole like reveal means so much more 
that ultimately like oh because he's not basically he doesn't know that death is around the corner at all time like it's one thing you know, it's always that old adage like would you want to know when you're gonna die if you know your expiration date like to me like there's a to your point there's a lot of rewatch i think rewatchability with this movie like it's good to watch and then the second viewing you get a lot more out of it yeah and what you just said about jeff plays perfectly into last summer but i want to give one more point of credit to you and the director this honors classic horror but you brought up a great point a lot in you know uh friday the 13th it's the slutty characters get killed they do a good job in this movie of not like you said demonizing sex down to when jay has her first uh, sexual encounter with jeff there's no mention that she's a virgin or anything like that and we find out later she's already had sex when she was in high school they don't treat it as such a big deal the way horror mm-hmm. movies often do, even though this movie is about a sex demon. Mm. And even then, like the usage of like, you know, you would expect with this kind of movie and again, with the kind of the themes with it, like Jay would have to be in a bikini at all time, you know, whenever she, but like she spends a lot of time in the water and in the pool and she's in a, a black one piece. Like it could not be more like less seductive. Right. And like, I appreciate like, again, it isn't this point of like, oh my God, we've over-sexualized all these characters. Like, it's not necessarily demonizing sex, again, to your point, even though the movie is about being pursued by a sex demon. <laughs> so... Right, and, and uh, this will also tie into Time Capsule. So yeah, just put a pin on that particular subject too, the way that sex is treated in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I will say, as we're kind of talking about how we appreciate that, you know, they didn't demonize sex and all, I think we'll, we'll instead of going into out of time, we'll talk a little bit about survival of the strongest, because this is one I thought was interesting in that I'm glad they don't demonize sex, but what I do think is interesting about the movie is that it is almost void of moral decisions. And the reason I say that is like, there is a, the Greg who takes the curse from Jay um, ultimately you realize that, I mean, he was just taking advantage of, of Jay because he kind of thought she was crazy and, and didn't really believe her. He winds up getting killed. So you might say he has his come up inside. That might be a little severe, but, um, like Jeff winds up knowing that he has a sex demon curse, winds up giving it to Jay. And then even to that point, there is, dis- you know, there's debate whether Jay winds up giving it to the three guys on the boat or not. You know, it's my interpretation is that she did not. But I know there's also some interpretation that maybe she did to give herself some more time. But just the idea that like that people just nonchalantly are just like, you just you got to give the curse away. Just give it away and it's fine. It's like there's no point where it's just like, oh, no, I'm not going to be the next, you know, chink in the chair or the next, you know, piece of the chain where I'm just going to keep passing it forward. It's like, no, I'm going to accept my fate. And I just, I think it's interesting. Like, there's no point where the characters have any kind of moral dilemma about, like, what I'm doing next. Like, I am now putting a potential, like, I'm potentially, like, killing somebody by having sex with them, especially if I'm doing it without them knowing, like, what Jeff did to Jay. Like, sure, he shows her so that he understands it, but, like, all of it is, like, just pass it along, just pass it along. Like, it's never a matter of, like, okay, <laughs> like, there's a major issue with this. I agree, and I guess it depends on how much you want to try to view this through the lens of what people would do in reality, because I do believe that 
if this were real and there was no other way to avoid it, people would absolutely be selfish. I mean, look at the planet we're living on as we inch closer and, and closer to unlivable areas of the world. Yeah. So I don't know why you would be surprised by that unless you're just saying it through the lens of fiction. I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm surprised by the decision they make, but what I am surprised with is that to me there was a golden opportunity for the director to have some kind of dialogue or monologue with the character having to basically, you know, deal with that decision, that moral quandary. Like, you know, if I don't do this, I will always be on the run or like I will potentially die. So in in an effort, like I'm going to give this to knowingly give this to somebody, this curse, and then, you know, Jeff, how he came to that conclusion or how Jay decides like there's I just expected that there's definitely an opportunity where they could have really dived more into the moral consequences and conundrum of deciding to either hold on to it yourself and be like, you know, a martyr to try and always outrun the thing. Or ultimately you're giving it to somebody, you know, in hopes that they live as long as they can so that it doesn't come back after you. Like it's, it's, it's just very interesting to me that, that that's never really brought up in the movie. Yeah. And I guess they're depicted to be, you know, late teens, early twenties. And I mean, even their strategy to try to <laughs> kill the sex demon at the end kind of screams immaturity, dumb and young. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, like you said, at the very least, it would have been nice to see at least one character to reflect on it. It didn't even have to be Jay, but just somebody bring up the weight of what's going on and not just make it a chase movie. And I guess that's why I kind of, my thought is Jay didn't have sex with the, the guys on the boat because I feel like, I think there's like a throwaway line or something where Doug is asking her about it or not Doug. Is it Doug or Paul? I'm terrible with names. It's definitely Are you talking about it's Doug, Paul. It's Doug. Why do I have? Yeah. Um, so Paul, you're, um, so when Paul, like shortly after she comes back all wet, you know that she's gone out into the water, but I'm, I'm pretty sure she says something, a throwaway line that to me implied that she did not have sex with them. And to me, that's the closest they get to like the moral compass of like, am I, am I willing to do this to somebody else? Like, am I willing to pass it on? Um, but yeah, I just, I, I definitely thought that, you know, I mean, was that the exact line? Do you recall? I honestly don't. I should have written it down. Um, because otherwise, I just don't think... What's the point of having that scene in the movie? Like, if she's going to decide, you know what? No, I'm not going to do this to somebody else. It should have been more clear-cut because as it stands, she's dry when she's looking at the boat from the shore. Mm -hmm. And then the next shot is her wet. Yep. And I'm like, do we expect that she waded out into the ocean a little bit and then decided to turn around? Mm-hmm. And then the I, other thing I just don't know why he would shoot it that way if that was not the implication. Right. And then even then they talk about the timeline where it's like the sex demon comes back at her pretty quickly. So like if it was pursuing the other guys, like it would have pursued and killed them very quickly, or one of the other guys. You know, you know. So it is to me again very interesting um that they maybe weren't a little bit more clear with that, but that might be there might have been intention to create this kind of level of conversation about it. So um, another, you know, design choice I thought was interesting is we'll kind of jump into out of time here. Um, so in reading, doing a little research on the movie, 
a lot of what the you know setting and i guess you could say props and stuff like that were very intentional in terms of like the movie opens with a girl on a cell phone and with a modern car the rest of the vehicles throughout the the movie are are more classic vehicles uh even the layouts of the houses and maybe some of the decorations seem somewhat dated all of the tvs are like old um you know c uh what is it that like tube CRT. tvs yeah crt tvs um but then at the same time you have yara who has the shell which is like an e-reader um in the director's response to that was he was trying to make essentially kind of a timeless movie where it wouldn't date it at any point where you wouldn't realize when this was going on or even it's like a dreamscape but i'd like to know what your thoughts are on on all of that that's bullshit <laughs> Look, it works. It's a perfectly good explanation. If I were the director, I would do the same old shit. But I mean, and this is no knock to the movie. It's just a low budget. Like you can't afford to do period costuming, make sure that every car in the background of every shot is period appropriate. Mm -hmm. You just can't do that on this kind of budget. So what's the next best thing to do? It, it's this. I just, but let me just say, the clamshell e-reader. Fuck you! That take that out of this movie, please. It's distracting. That's the point. I say it's very distracting to me to the point where the first time I watched this movie, I think I actually was watching the movie and googling because I watched it at home. I was trying to find out if the shell was real or not because I'm like, I've never seen like this. When when was this movie? It was in 2014? Was this like a real thing? And then it's like to me again, it, it winds up being distracting because like. Yes, now I don't know what the time period when this is supposed to take place, but I'm now is questioning it. Yeah, it's like, is this the future? What is, what is this? So to me, if that was the explanation behind it, I felt like it was it actually backfired. Because again, to me, I wound up focusing on that and wondering about the shell reader. I'm like, what is the shell reader? Is this like, what's going on with this? And obviously, if I was watching this in a movie theater, that probably wouldn't have been the case. But I still would have like you know, focused in on it and kind of it would have broken my concentration and taken me out of the movie because I would have, you know, been thinking about where's the shell reader thing? Like, you know, what, where did this come from? So, yeah. And I mean, a horror movie, probably more than most, it's about immersion. Mm -hmm. So even if it breaks your immersion for 10 seconds in a movie that's all about atmosphere, the only reason I can think to do that is because he knew people would call bullshit on his, we wanted to make it timeless. So that was his one flourish. And like you said, it backfired big time. Yeah. I just, I think it's, I, I would love to have known when that was developed, like where in the creative process was it basically they were on set and he's like, well, she needs to have something like not a flip phone. Like what about this clamshell idea? You know, it's just, to, it, to me, again, it is, it's so distracting in the movie. Like, it winds up and being... And didn't she only use it to read a book? Yes, it was basically an e-reader. That's all it was. So she just read off of the thing. I'm like, just just give her a tablet. Give her a book! Or a book. Book would be fine. I, yeah, either one of them. Or hell, just have her read off of her phone. How many people do that? Like, to me, again, it is just... It is... Even to the point, like, right now, we have five points of inspection on this movie, and one of them is dedicated almost exclusively to what was with the clamshell. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I found it very distracting and unnecessary in the movie. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people would say it's such a small thing, but if you're going for an instant classic, that's the kind of stuff that prevents you from mm -hmm. being it. Well, then it's the devils and the details. Like it is like at this point, 
with a low budget, everything has to be intentional. So when you intentionally do something like that, you have to make sure that it pans out. And unfortunately, it didn't. So when the movie is very, and I, this is one of the reasons I like the movie, is there isn't a whole lot of extra stuff going on. It really allows you to focus on what is happening. You're, you're trying to basically come to terms with the fact that you're cursed with a sex demon. And that's there's not a whole lot of fluff on it. So like... That means that all of the extra little bitty stuff is stuff that people f can focus in on. Like, it's the attention to your point, the attention to detail that, like, you you really have to be on top of because it will knock you down a few points. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was very interesting, the choice to, to create this weird technology in a horror movie. Yeah, and only for, what, five seconds of screen time? Yeah, she uses it twice. Basically, at the end of mo the movie, to sum up, like the characters and their feelings. I forget what the the name of the or the idiot is the book that she's reading, and, and Yara describes that. And then there's what she I think is talking about it earlier in the movie. The idiot, like they basically r bring it back up. And I'm like, it just it, to me, it was it was so weird. Like there's there were so many different approaches you could have done with that that didn't take you out of the movie because even if she's re again if she's reading it in the hospital at the end of the movie i'm still just thinking about where is the shell can i get the shell like it's just now i've forgotten about it because it was almost an hour ago that it was brought up the first time and now i'm confused like now all i think i'm thinking about is the shell again and i'm not listening to this you know carefully exactly. crafted like dialogue or monologue that she's giving and it's like I, and that's the problem to me with with that whole usage yeah, maybe the logic was people will pay more attention to the dialogue because they'll be like, what the fuck is the clamshell? But <laughs> I'm immediately tuning out the dialogue. And like you said, Googling whether I can buy this or how much it costs. <laughs> Who made this? I don't remember this. Do you remember there yeah. being a shell? <laughs> was this a failed Samsung thing? I don't know. Um, so, you know, if you don't have anything else to, to talk about the clamshell, I would love to hear what you want to talk about with last summer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I like to talk about the subtext of a movie. Some people hate that kind of like, what does it really mean? And I don't necessarily think that this is necessarily what the director was going for, but I think it works as a reading of the movie. So most people, the easy one is this is about STDs. Okay. I prefer a different reading. Ooh, okay. Which... I interpret this movie as the dread or fear or looking back and realizing when your childhood ended. And you brought up some of what Jeff talked about. He wanted to be the kid so that he could be carefree, have no responsibilities, have his whole life in front of him. Mm -hmm. It certainly works like a person who is being chased by a sex demon would, would wish that they had a, a life that they could see you know, into the future and not just be constantly on the run. Mm -hmm. But it also works for, you know, once you graduate high school or some people it's while you're in high school, you're joining the real world. <clears throat> and one more thing about Jeff, the abandoned house that, that they, uh, they search, he's got the windows like blacked out. Mm -hmm. Did you notice what was papering some of those windows? Is it comic strips, wasn't it? Comic strips. 
seems very childlike to me. It wasn't just newspapers. It was comic strips specifically. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe even I saw some comic books in there. Um, He's also got a mattress on the floor with a bunch of porno mags and tissues watered up everywhere, which I know this is a movie about sex, so there's probably something to read into that. But also I thought that was a very teenage depiction of your interaction with sex, especially as a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. So, um, go ahead. I, I was. I am actually glad that you brought this up because I. I kind of picked up more. I had heard about the STDs, and I. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a stretch or maybe low hanging fruit. I definitely gravitated also more towards the death of innocence, and my thought was, they never explicitly say who they. I, they to me, the characters are supposed to be in high school, probably like seniors. So again, it's they're about to transition into the world. But to me, no. Are they supposed to be in college? Jay specifically is in college because she's at co- she's at a community college at the beginning mm. and mentions that she had sex with Greg back in high school. And that was the, the that was going to be the defense I had is yeah, that that's the and I didn't catch that until I watched it this time. The first time I watched it I thought they were all but to me it's that weird age. A lot of them to me they they're supposed to look I think kind of young and naive, but they also are paired with are you know juxtaposed with very kind of adult things where like her sister Kelly is smoking a cigarette and they're talking about drinking alcohol and stuff like that. And it's like, to me, it, it, a lot of it is kind of this death of innocence type thing, or it's like that transition out of adolescence into adulthood. And to your point, the, the, the pursuit is honestly trying to outrun the inevit- inevitability of having to grow up. And, you know, I don't know if you want to go so far as to say, like, giving up on your dreams or anything like that, but it's it's basically having to grow up, you know? Yeah, and to expound on your point, and then I have one more point. There's a certain age, I think between like 14 and like 17, where you might be around a bunch of people that are the same age, but can have wildly different experience levels. Mm -hmm. And I think that's depicted in this movie too. But the last point I wanted to make, which kind of works perfectly, not so much in, you know, give up on your dreams, quote unquote, but... The movie has a monster that traditionally is not as scary as some movie monsters because, like Greg says, or not Greg, uh, Jeff, you know, it walks slowly. It's not dumb, but it's slow. You know, it's, and like you said, the way the movie is shot, it's omnipresent. Even if it's not really there, the sense of dread and people walking in the background. I often think about it the monster in this movie is kind of like adult responsibility. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be manageable and it's never going to stop until you're dead. Mm-hmm. And like literally the last shot of this movie and we'll jump into the end whenever, but it almost looks like they're walking down the aisle. She has like a wedding dress type setup. He looks like he's kind of wearing a tuxedo with the black jacket. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there's somebody in the background. It might be the sex demon. It might just be a person. But that threat of responsibility is always right behind them. And you just have to keep moving. No, absolutely. I definitely picked up on the, you know, the at the very end, they're both wearing white, you know. Um, It's. Yeah, it is. 
a very interesting take on it because like i i have to i agree more so with you that i, I think it's more about even if it was subconscious from the director you know, some writer slash director here i think it is more about the the loss of adolescence and having to grow up and you know a certain level of responsibility because again now that you have a sex demon we go back to that conversation about morals and all that like you it's a big decision of what you have to do like are you going to pass this along are you going to continue the chain are you going to decide you know not to so um i definitely agree i think it, it it's more so with that than it is about stds and i think also the way that the we talked about you know i i i'm not gonna go so far as to say the movie sex positive but i don't feel like it portrays sex in a negative light so if it was to me about STDs and stuff like that, I feel like they would there would be more of a, a negative spin on sexual activity than than what the movie has. Um, and even then, to a certain degree of like if it's about protection or something like that, you know, I I just don't feel like the the movie is demonizing sex, and that's why I I'm less inclined to to feel it has to do with STDs and the spread of those, and you know, even to the point where like you know i don't know you know you can get rid of it but it comes back or something like that i i'm not sure i yeah i i don't i don't really fall into the std camp yeah that, i think that's the low-hanging fruit as you said so our fifth point living with a sex demon so i yeah overall enjoyed the movie i um i i guess my issue my biggest issues with the movie would be how the the characters are portrayed at the end um and i guess it, i was just slightly disappointed with ultimately what their decision was because to me the way it winds up working is is jay isn't necessarily into into paul right she just kind of settles for him because he winds up being safe and i hate that that's kind of you know where it winds up ending is to me it never it doesn't feel like there's any real connection between the two of them even throughout the movie like there's just like oh, remember the first time we kissed or something like that? And, like, somehow that that history is what's supposed to get him to move forward, and now there's well, this partnership. Well, not only that, what I noticed on this viewing is after they had their first kiss, apparently Paul kissed her sister at some point. Mm-hmm. So not, not only no chemistry, but Paul doesn't necessarily— Paul just will fuck whatever will let him. Mm-hmm. Well, and then so much of Paul in this movie is his jealousy of— who jay decides to be with and like i almost think that his the way his reactions to jay and her sexuality to me is almost more uncomfortable than her, the pursuit of the sex demon and i don't know if it's because to me it happens more frequently in the movie and there's more of a focus but like there's a lot of his kind of like just you know disapproving stare or you know i can't believe you would choose him over me you know while wh wh i'm right here i'm in front of you type stuff i'm like it, to me he's almost more un unsettling in this movie than than the sex demon almost i mean obviously the sex demon's gonna can you know squeak out and win there but um i uh my big thing is i i would have much rather seen like jay take life you know take life by the balls you know just like just she's she's decided that she's not going to allow the sex demon to to ruin her life and that she's still going to continue experience and almost like you know hashtag van life where like she winds up just oh, hitting the oh, <laughs> hitting the road um not <laughs> hits the hits not the best time to use that yeah, probably, yeah probably probably should have pulled that one back but ultimately <laughs> you know i just like life of adventure like she's not going to allow the sex demon to to basically 
take control of her life, you know, and that's, I guess that's where I, and I know that's a very subjective and me kind of, you know, putting my own views and how I would, I guess, have approached this situation rather than, you know, logically, what would the character have done in this situation? But I guess that's, that's kind of where I fall at the end of this is like, I just disappointed with Jay's final decision of how she's going to live with the curse you know, I don't feel like it's living. I feel like it's one of those, she's, instead of being killed by the sex demon, she's chose, you know, uh, death by a thousand cuts. Like, she's just going to settle down with someone she's not necessarily in love with just for the, the sake of quote-unquote safety, you know? Yeah, all very valid points. And normally I would expound upon them, but I am very worried that we're getting too close to my chop shop. <laughs> okay, so... It's, and I'm curious if your chop shop might go as the same direction as mine based upon what you just said, but I guess we'll see. Well, I went... So, Ed, do you want to expel it all on living with a sex demon at all, or do you just want to jump into your chop shop? Well, honestly, my chop shop, by the end of it, will kind of tell you how I would live with a sex demon. All right, so let's do this. I'll say that. We'll, we'll bookend your chop shop with living with a sex demon. So maybe at the end of it, we'll kind of, if you want, we can come up recap. Well, if you have more, please go. I just want no, to say, no, no, no. no, no, that, that was basically a lot of what I wanted to talk about. It's just, you know, ultimately it's one of those, like, I'd rather, you know, die standing up or, you know, there be, you know, I'm die on to your say. feet than live on your Thank knees. You. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I was, I was getting there eventually, but yeah, that I think that's more so just, the, the ultimate message of just basically dealing with it that way. Cause you know, I know that they tried to, they tried to kill the demon or whatever and stop it with their, their, their weird, weird plan to electrocute it, even though it had been <laughs> shot and got up and was not like somehow electricity was going to be, which I understand maybe was, um, it's funny because the movie that they're watching on the TV is like, oh, they have to electrocute the monster. And I'm like, does it play to that Paul is so kind of immature that basically he just, the latest thing he heard was the plan of how he would kill a monster because he saw it on an old movie or something. But at the end of the day, it's like, to me, they didn't really try and do a whole lot to learn more about it or, you know, find another way to, to move on other than, again, Jay just ultimately decides to settle down. And that her settling down is how she is going to cope with it. So, yeah, and on a more meta level, just the ending of the movie, it's such a great movie through the first two thirds. But the third act almost feels like they either ran out of ideas. They didn't know how to try to kill the monster or they realized, hey, we have spent 98 percent of the budget. We have to just wrap this up. But it's such a menacing movie. The atmosphere is just full of dread for through two thirds. And then by the end of it, it's an invisible man throwing TVs and electrical appliances into a pool. It just kind of breaks that amazing vibe that I, I, I would, you know, an hour and 20 minutes of the movie has. And in terms of like the third act being weird, when Yara gets shot in the pool, like I laughed. I thought it was hysterical when yes. he's, and I'm like, all I can think of is now thinking, I'm like, I would love to know the order in which this movie was shot in the original script. Cause I'm wondering if it's like they shot the beach scene where, you know, Jay is shooting and she almost shoots Greg. And somebody goes like, wouldn't it have been funny if she actually did shoot Greg? And he goes, oh, that's a great idea. And then they basically repeat it where someone actually does get shot because you're trying to shoot an invisible monster 
later in the movie because it's almost a repeat of what exactly happens there only someone does wind up getting shot and i'm like it's just like to me it gets again those little details that wind up taking me out of the movie I'm like i understand i have a cynical dark sense of humor but i'm like it's really funny that he's just randomly firing a pistol at an invisible monster and winds up just so happening well, to shoot one of their friends on the other side Brad, it's not invisible jay's pointing to it you know yeah. that's all you need just point it's over there <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's extra funny because it just makes Paul look like even more of a pathetic character, which was hard to do at this point. Yeah. Oh, and I will. The last thing I'll say before we jump into Chop Chop, there were there were two scenes. As much as this movie tried to kind of build on and break some of the horror movie tropes, and I thought that Jay was a pretty strong female character um again it wasn't one of those where she just immediately gets killed or anything like that she's not just the sex bait that winds up dying in like a friday the 13th movie or something like that or the slut that has to be murdered there's two things that she did in terms of just a stupid character and i don't understand why they're in the movie and she does it twice and again it's it's a repeating these i didn't even realize how much the beach scene and the pool scene repeat themselves but and it shows that the characters didn't learn a damn thing when Jay, when the it, the sex demon kicks the hole in the door, and Jay, knowing she's the one who's being hunted, crawls towards the hole in the door, drove me nuts. I'm like, why would you crawl towards it? Like, it can snatch you. It already grabbed your hair 30 seconds ago. You know it can grab you. And then... After all of that, she does the exact same thing at the pool when she goes to look over the edge of the pool to see if it's dead in the pool. And you see, like, the blood just spreading in the water. And I'm like, once again, I'm like, why are you look like, I just stand straight up, get a better angle. Like, why are you putting yourself in a position where you could easily be grabbed? And I know, I don't know if it's to create, obviously, to create tension for the audience. But I'm like, this is the moment where I'm like, find a better way to do it because it makes your character look stupid. Yeah, I, I can defend the door scene only because she's the only one that would be able to see it, right? Yeah, but still, it's either going to come through that hole or she's going to have to find another way out, which was conveniently just on the other side of the barn and unlocked. So I'm not sure why, you know, again, I guess horror trope, like you have to basically back yourself into a corner out of fear instead of running. But like, it just, to me, it's just one of those things that just drives me nuts where I'm like, I just don't feel like that's how somebody would react in that situation. Like, you've already been attacked. It's not like you're just running. Like, you have literally been attacked. You're not going. And if you think that's the only way out, that's not what you're going to do, you know? But, again, that's me Yeah, I think it's just really it's part of this movie running out of steam. It starts mm -hmm. at a 10 out of 10. And by the end, it's still very good, but the momentum dissipates throughout the movie. But again, last thing, I know I said last thing, but this is the real list, last thing. This is my favorite scene in the entire movie. All right. Where I just thought, holy crap, like beautifully done is at the beach scene when they're all sitting in the in. Uh, you see Yara slowly walking up in the background because they've already established it can look like one of your loved ones. Anything to get closer to you. And Yara's walking up and all of a sudden you're the audience and you just see it changes the shot to the ocean and you see yara and the tube swim from off off camera into the middle of the scene you're like oh my god that other yara was the demon like and to me that's maybe my favorite scene in the entire movie where like you suddenly realize really the 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 uh threat that the demon poses because it could be anybody you know yeah but it can't be anyone that talks apparently yeah 
So, with that said, I think it's time for a little choppy chop. What do you think? All right, Travis, so start us off with Chop Shop. What do you got? You had Block, or no, I had Blockbuster. You had Oscar Bait. So I'm interested to see where you took this movie. Yes, sir. I, I appreciate it. I don't think I've had Oscar Bait yet. So I may have gone overboard. <laughs> uh, I just want to say before we get started, a little meta thing. We had a couple of reviews come in, positive reviews. Uh, so we appreciate that if you're listening and you, if you haven't reviewed. You know, feel free. Uh, that being said, if you've listened before and you liked it, but you don't necessarily like when I go long-winded on Chop Shop, might want to hit that 30-second button here soon. <laughs> so here we go. <clears throat> so as far as a pitch goes, I, I do like Brett kind of giving you a flavor of what I'm thinking about with the movies. So I got three movies in mind. Into the Wild... Dr. Sleep, and Deliverance. Okay, so we're really bringing The Shining back. All right. Yeah, that Dr. Sleep's very mild. Yeah, okay. I, I still like it. I think, you know, just a little little sprinkling, a little touch. Okay, so here we go. Yeah, and I'm going to go a step further, Brett. Ooh. I'm going to give you the stars of this particular film. You son of a bitch. Uh, uh, obviously, you have some of the same characters mm -hmm. from the movie. Micah Monroe was Jay. Keir Gilchrist was Paul. Uh, Lily... Seppi was uh, Kelly, the sister. But this cast has also added Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Ryan Gosling and Kerry Washington. Okay, so, so we've got we go. some veteran actors. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, all right, all right. So I'm going to take It Follows up until the point where Greg gets killed. And instead of having a dumbass showdown at the pool with electrical appliances, the group's going to decide to go on the run. Uh, so they kind of withdraw all their collective money. It amounts to a few thousand dollars, and they take Paul's car. So it's Jay, Paul, Yara, and Kelly, which is the sister. And they hit the road. Their goal is to kind of go out west where the national parks are, some sort of mountainous destination. And the logic is in the wilderness, off the grid, you know, the sex demon would be obvious. If you don't see anybody for days and days and days and you see somebody, hey, good chance. And they're thinking, well, hey, maybe it can't navigate, you know, treacherous terrain. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is Oscar bait. So the road trip and like the early hiking, it's going to give us an opportunity to get to know some of the characters more. Because there's stuff that's hinted at in the movie that either got cut or I don't feel like it got fleshed out. But I'm thinking of uh, Jay and Kelly's relationship with their dead father. Because mm -hmm. did you notice that it clearly took on the shape of her father because there's like a photo of the family very early on. Blink and yes. you miss it. Yep. Mm-hmm. I assume there's some sort of sexual abuse there based upon the content of this movie. Is that the way you took it? No, and the reason I didn't is because apparently the first time that 
Jay sees a, a, the sex demon with Jeff. It's in the, sh the shape of Jeff's mother. And then Greg gets killed by his mother. I just assume it, it was, again, about that, you know, it takes the form of— But the of mother, though, is in shambles— how do you think the father died? I guess that's not important. I, I, I maybe suicide or something like that. I, I assume it is very impactful, but I didn't get any like sexual like that she was sexually abused by him. Okay, fair. Well, I didn't really flesh that out, but Oscar bait, there has to be some sort of bonding between sisters and reflecting on the past that Oscar bait loves that shit. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also that subtext of Kelly getting involved with Jay's boyfriends slash crushes because we know Paul kissed her. And then very briefly at the beach, did you notice that Greg and Kelly were kind of exchanging looks? Yeah, and that's not the first time because I believe when they see Greg cleaning his car at the beginning of the movie, she's like looking at Greg with lustful eyes as well. That's right. That's right. So yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like there's a history between these two sisters. As close as they are, there's maybe a little bit of a rivalry. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe Kelly's got some sort of jealousy. But again, that it, it simmers below the surface, Oscar bait. So uh, during the trip... You know, Jay slowly realizes she can't think of Paul in a romantic way, much like you were saying, your complaint about the end of the movie. And she's going to start to distance herself from Paul. And so what does Paul do? He's going to go ahead and pursue Kelly. And we've already established that Kelly's kind of flirtatious. But Kelly's also like, hey, dude, you're infected with a sex demon. You're not fucking me. Okay, so I and thought you were going to go with Kelly's jealousy has Kelly take on the demon. But I like where you're going better. Yeah, no, she's going to be responsible. I guess it's not the betrayal of her sister. It's the betrayal of her sister and taking on the sex demon. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the first act, they're going to be at their campsite. They've kind of set it up on a cliff side where basically they only have two directions to kind of look. They're, they've got a cliff behind them. And it's going to be kind of the party montage. You know, they're celebrating the fact that they got there. They're drinking around the fire, telling stories. And the night winds down, and they retire to their tents. Uh, Yara and Jay are going to be in one tent, and Paul and Kelly are going to be in the other, because by now, Paul and Kelly are a little bit of an item. Um, and because this is still a horror movie, we're going to have a drone shot pulling back from the campsite, basically from the cliffside, and it's going to reveal the sex demons climbing up the cliff. Slowly, but steadily. And then we're going to cut back to the tent where Paul is, you know, he's trying to push the boundaries with Kelly again. Uh, but again, Paul's got no game. She's not taking on the sex demon. She's like, no, shuts it down. Paul gets frustrated. He goes outside. It's that classic, you know, the fire's dying down. Paul's got to take a piss. He's mad. He grabs a bottle of liquor, and he's drinking the liquor, and he's walking out into the woods to take a leak. Kind of classic Friday the 13th horror stuff. Mm -hmm. And as Paul's pissing and drinking... He hears some rustling in the bushes, and he turns around with his flashlight to see a wobbly, glazed-over Yara walking towards him. He backs up and stumbles over a rock, landing on his back, and Yara continues to stumble wordlessly towards him. And as Paul tries to pull his hunting knife from his belt, finally Yara is standing over Paul, and Yara begins to hysterically laugh as she trips and falls on top of Paul. Paul angrily shushes Yara and asks her what she's doing out there. Yara slurs, lamenting to Paul that if this were a movie, she'd be the character that never has any lines, and it's all about this love triangle. Paul apologizes, telling Yara he doesn't want her to feel unworthy, and the two continue to drink. 
when we have to edit this out. Okay, so Paul and Yara drunkenly stumble back to camp, not exactly being quiet. And uh, Jay and Kelly confront them, mostly Paul. So at this point, we don't know. It's implied that they had sex, Paul and Yara. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so obviously Jay and Kelly are yelling at him, but before they can get too far into it, Jay and Kelly's father climbs over the cliff edge. Um, they panic, realizing they've stayed too long. Uh, they grab what supplies they can, and they run into the woods. And uh, because Yara was a nothing character in the movie and a nothing character in this, this is the chance for the the horror movie kill. Yara's going to die. Okay. So our three remaining characters, they uh, they run. I don't know how this is going to happen, Brett. We'll just kind of yah, yah, yah it. But uh, they find like a hunting cabin. And uh, they can't afford to leave all their supplies at the campsite, but they don't want to go back in the dark to try to get it with uh, the sex demon out there. So they're like knocking on the door to this this cabin, and lo and behold, it's Matthew McConaughey. And he's basically playing Rust Cole. So Rust lets him in the cabin where they, uh, you know, collectively come up with a lie about what's going on because nobody's going to believe them about a sex demon. But Rust Cole, he sees through it. He basically tells him he doesn't mind letting him stay the night, but he needs to know, you know, what the truth is, what's really out there. The characters lay the truth on him in detail, and Russ shockingly believes them. Uh, Russ goes on to tell them that he ran into the sex demon back in his younger days, and we can have a flashback to when Russ was in his early 20s and he's fucking a girl, which led to her death, yada, yada, yada. Russ tells him he's been on the run and hiding ever since, and Russ tells him that, you know, the sex demon isn't a death sentence, but the key is having a group who can see the sex demon so they can act as a team. And group tells the group tells Russ that Jay and Paul can see it, and and this excites Russ. He's like, "All right, all right, all right." <laughs> that makes three of us. We find a few more, and we can take that son of a bitch down. Russ tells the group, "There's no point in wasting any more energy tonight." And this is a direct quote from Russ: "Tomorrow, when it's safe, I'll show you my tool shed. I got a lot of shit out there that fucker ain't gonna like, you know. But enough of this heavy shit. Y'all want some grub?" The trio quickly agree, and Rust pulls a bearskin rug from the floor, revealing a trap door. Come on down, let me show you the kitchen. The trio follow Rust down a set of stairs, and the trap door closes behind them. The lower level is a small, but you know, plenty of room for four people, and there's a small stove, row of cabinets. We've got some fresh venison in the cooler. Y'all want a few beers? Trio reluctantly accept the offer. Montage of them drinking, eating. Russ is telling stories about his encounters with the sex demon, talking about all the close encounters he's had and about that time in Galveston where he emptied a clip into it. Paul's enamored with the stories, asking what kind of gun Russ used and what kind of equipment he has to hunt with. And Russ seems to kind of find Paul the weak variety, but indulges him much like a child. Jay and Kelly roll their eyes as they begin to fall asleep. Paul and Russ both drunkenly slur through stories, Paul trying to prove he's a man like Rust. Man, I should have applied myself in the weight room like I did in the classroom. I wish I'd known a guy like you in high school, Rust. Hey, JK living, man. JK living. It's never too late. I got a 44 Magnum in the shed. I'll let you loose on that bad boy tomorrow. Oh, bro, that would be sick. You sure it's, uh... It's, uh... 
Paul finally loses the battle of sleep and passes out. Rust is drunkenly shaking Paul. Hey, hey, little buddy, you still with us? Suddenly, Rust's demeanor changes as he continues to speak to Paul in a cold, flat voice, and he realizes he's not as drunk as he let on, and we cut. The trio wake up and realize that Russ has drugged their food and drink, and all three are tied up. Russ confesses that he doesn't believe a word of what the kids were saying about the sex demon. He just went along with it to trap the kids. Russ turns on Don't Fear the Reaper. And uh, <laughs> have you seen Pulp Fiction, Brett? Uh-huh. Yeah, Russ is going to go full Zed in Pulp Fiction, and that's where the deliverance reference comes from. So he's going to anally rape Paul. And uh, the music is so loud, you know, don't fear the Reaper, that Rust isn't, doesn't realize that the sex demon has arrived and is coming down the stairs. As Rust is mid-thrust, he, he yells out in pain as the sex demon tears him apart from behind. Jay is able to free herself and Kelly, and they look for another exit. Uh, they grab a disheveled Paul, and they open the door opposite the stairwell and find a tunnel. Much like you said, the shed, there's a convenient other side that they can escape from. And they see just shelves lined with various backpacks, weapons, jewelry, and cash from other ill-fated hikers who met Russ Cole. Uh, they sift through the supplies, grab what they can, uh, while a shell-shocked Paul does his, his best to move towards the door. The three escape. So I'm going to pause it right there because then it's, it's going to go pretty quick because I'm going to speed through the third act. But uh, what are you thinking so far? Uh... <laughs> Uh, not where I was expecting it to go. Uh, a little, a little in awe right now. Um, Good. I, I promise you, I'm gonna bring it home. It's, it's the Oscar bait will make sense. Okay. Yeah. No. It's um. Let's 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 keep it go. Let's keep it going. You know. <laughs> Hang in there, listeners. All right. So we're gonna speed through to the third act. Jay, Kelly, and Paul will continue their journey west. Paul remains a shell of himself following the incident. The group arrives at an RV campground uh, and meet a friendly group of travelers. We'll say like 10 to 15 people in the group. And they're led by a couple played by Ryan Gosling and Kerry Washington. Uh, Jay, Kelly, and Paul are leery of the group, of course, from what happened with Rust, until one night most of the group are sitting around the fire. Jay tells the group finally what happened with Rust, and Gosling and Kerry share a knowing look across the fire. They explained that Rust was in their group for a time, and the group had all been stalked by the sex demon, but Rust, Rust cracked under the pressure of the constant strain that the situation changed him. As they tell the story of Rust, the camera slowly zooms in on a clearly troubled Paul, setting up the finale of the film. Got any ideas on where the finale of the film's going, bro? I don't... <sighs> I'm hoping it's not what I decided to do for the blockbuster. Um, but no, let's, where, where does it go, Travis? Where does it go? All right, so I'm going to speed through this. So, Buckle your safety uh, belt. Jay and Kelly, after this night, they kind of thrive in the new group, embracing the community. They stay on the move. They stay vigilant because all these people can see the sex demon. So strength in numbers, the collective. Uh, but Paul, again, he keeps going, you know, full metal jacket. And finally, he's going to snap because, again, he's losing both of these women to this this group, he feels. And we, like you said, Paul seems to be a tad bit possessive. 
So Paul's going to snap and try to uh, kill Jay and Kelly. So this is where I wanted to see how you would land the plane because uh, Paul's got to die. I have to land the plane? you think should kill him? Jesus Christ, you flew me into a storm and I have to... (sighs) I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm thinking... Okay, I'll give you the two options I had, and you pick the one. How about that? Okay. Choose my own adventure. I'm thinking one option, a combination of Jay and Kelly kill him. They kind of heal their sisterly... I wouldn't say, like, quarrel, but, like, the the tension of, you know, Kelly feeling lesser than Jay, etc. And then they kind of... That forms their bond, and they're good, and they can live with this group. My other thought was Gosling kill Paul to kind of be the one redeeming male character, but then he would have to die in the process. And I'm thinking maybe after he kills him, you know, he dies from his wounds. And then it's Jay, Kelly, and Carrie Washington to lead the group into the future as they run from the sex demon. So Jay and Kelly or Ryan Gosling sacrifices himself. What do you think is better for Oscar bait? I don't think Ryan Gosling because I don't think it would be earned. Yeah, you don't want to introduce him in the third act and him exactly. The day. Like it wouldn't have any impact on the audience. So my thought with it would be that Paul actually maybe it's Paul wasn't trying to kill them, but winds up like luring them out, tries to convince them to leave the group, and then ultimately puts them in danger and has to sacrifice himself. And then realizing that he actually regains the strength after being, you know, he's no longer the victim of of rape and winds up sacrificing mm-hmm. himself so that Jay and Kelly can can live on with the group. I would go that route, maybe. I'd like that. Yeah, because you're right. You can't have what happens to Paul in the second act and he doesn't get some level of redemption. So I do like that. So that, I think, so let's go with that. Okay. And really, here's, here's the themes that I was looking at, much like... Uh, Reminiscence. Let's just pack in some themes because that's what Oscar bait is. But I like the idea of it takes a community to survive against the sex demon. And especially in my comparison that sex demon is just a representation of adult life and responsibility. You know, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, that's a good mm-hmm. message. And also I like... And, and we'll talk about this maybe with the director, but if you ever were to do an It Follows sequel, I don't think you would want to try to explain where the curse came from. I like the whole The Last of Us element where the monster is the least of your concerns because, you know, man is the cruelest animal. Mm-hmm. And that's represented perfectly by Rust Cole in this story. So what's more dangerous than a sex demon? Human beings. Mm-hmm. And then throw in a dash of talking masculinity from Paul because he so badly wants to be an alpha male. So yeah, that's it. Okay, I, you, it definitely, I think, got to... I wasn't sure where you were going to go uh, after the the raping Anal of rape? Paul. Yeah, the raping of Paul. Um, but I think, it, I think it got into a good spot, so... <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I, I I like to keep people on their toes. So yeah, you definitely did because it definitely led up to a point where I'm like, I w- you put us on the side of the cliff, and I was waiting for the demon to grab us. I'll tell you that. So uh, no, but I liked it. I like where it ended. 
I think well, it, you, it's good to bring uh, back you the, had what, the Blockbuster this week. Uh, I had Blockbuster, and um, mine is very short this week. Um, so well, that works. Yes. So my thought was this movie is already pretty close to being Blockbuster level, and because um, if you remember the the OG, the original Blockbuster movie was Jaws, which is a horror movie, you know. So I was thinking, this already has a lot of the makings of what you would need to have a, a, a blockbuster horror movie. I just found a, a few little tweaks here and there, right, to, to really take it over the edge. So the first one would be, um, well, we'll start off with my inspirations um, and where, where I kind of mixed into the, the base of It Follows to make myself into a blockbuster. And that is a little bit of uh, The Cabin in the Woods, a little bit of it, and then a touch of eye, eyes wide shut. Um, <clears throat> so that that's where the so my first thought was what we need to do to get this into a blockbuster territory is we got to throw some more money into it. All right, um, and I don't think that we need to put any more money into the setting or the budget that way. But I, I think we got to get some top some top build cast. Right, we got to get people to want to come to the theater, put some names on the poster. Right. So I basically recast the entire main cast. So uh, you know I'm going to butcher these names, so if you want to go ahead and correct them for me, uh, that would be fantastic. So Dennis Villanova. Damn it. Um, <laughs> so for Jay, I have Zendaya. All right? I think she's the hotness right now. You know, she's in a lot of movies. I also tried to stick with, you know, people that could pull off being in... Um, I oh, also reset it, and they are all in college. Like, I want it to be definitive that they're in college. So we got Zendaya as Jay. Paul is uh, Timothy Chalamont. Or Chalamont? Yeah. Chalamet. Chalamet, thank you. See, that's So we what, got the Dune. Yeah, duo. so we got, we got the Dune. I almost went with Zendaya and... Um, was it Tom Holland? Just because they are a real life couple, um, but decided to go I, the Dune, you know. So Kelly uh, is Ashley Moore. Um, she is from the new I Know What You Did Last Summer show, and she would be playing Jay's sister, as uh, Zendaya's sister. Yara would be Alex Esso. Um, she is probably most known from Netflix has had quite a few horror series over the last year or two that I've enjoyed midnight mass being the most recent also the haunting of Hill house and the haunting of Bly Manor. So she's already got some horror chops there and like good, like some of the, again, classic horror, like those aren't slashers. Um, Annie would wind up being Lily Rose Depp. Honestly have no idea. Um, I just kind of looked through the top um, celebrities on IMDb and I just, kind of chose her at random because uh, she looked like she could be the right age to be in the group um hugh slash jeff i thought would be joe keery from stranger things i like that um i, I think he's a little less Which, funny mm -hmm. do you know who he dates in real life who does he date in real life micah monroe the girl who plays jay look at that unintentional uh, connections there and then for greg for greg I went with Bill Skarsgård, who actually played Pennywise in It. So, and that was I chose him before I even thought he's about. He's too old. I think he because I think he could be an older college guy, and I think he's got like a creepiness to him. Um, and I don't think 
it wouldn't necessarily maybe it is one of those like he lived in the neighborhood or something like that um i think there would be more of a connection at the college campus in that alteration to the movie um but i think i think bill skarsgård could pull off an older college like a senior at college or something like that so uh if you just I, I just couldn't think of anybody else who kind of has that weird not straight creepiness but like has kind of a weirdness to him right He's all I could really land on. Um, big thing I took was uh, it has a lot of the main pieces you need. I just think it needs a bigger finale, you know, um, and a little bit less open-ended for it to, to go full full blockbuster. So takes place on a college campus. The other tweak I'm going to do is that Yara, um, maybe she's not reading so much literature so much as she's just really into Greek mythology, all right? And that's going to come and, and, and play into the finale where they have to find out how to actually defeat the sex demon. So most of the movie stays the same. Maybe throughout the movie, Yara makes references to Greek mythology just so that we make sure we, we do those those breadcrumbs. But at a certain point, the group is going to have to do investigating into what the sex demon is, right? Because again, blockbuster, that's a classic thing where they have to figure out what it is so that they can defeat it. And in doing so, they're going to look into some Greek mythology and they're going to realize that in order to defeat the sex demon, you have to fight fire with fire, all right? And ultimately, Greek orgies and pagan sex rituals were actually a way to destroy the sex, not destroy the sex demon, but basically banish the sex demon. And ultimately, what winds up happening is that the orgy, because of the transfer of the curse happening over and over and over again, what winds up happening is the demon gets overloaded and doesn't know where to go, and it basically sends it back to hell. So, that leads to the movie ending with, or in the final act, basically ending in a... Um, tastefully done non-pornographic orgy scene much like on eyes wide shut uh in order for them to defeat the sex demon i was really wondering how you were going to tie in eyes wide shut <laughs> in a blockbuster so it's already rated r so i didn't have to worry too much about it and again tastefully done i'm not looking for this to look like something you define on you know Pornhub or something like My that hard it's, drive yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's ultimately what happens uh again it means that the movie is not like it doesn't demean sex or anything like that but to me you have to defeat the sex demon somehow i thought about like some kind of dry dream sequence or like the sex demon becomes something that they have to fight but like to me this was the only way i could find logically what would happen and then again tie some kind of historical relevance into like you know greek orgies were actually a means to defeat sex demons and not so much just about you know parties and promiscuity so that's very quick in a nutshell. That was my blockbuster. And the cabin in the woods aspect was, again, like the whole idea behind that one is, you know, they're they're sacrificing these people to the gods. To me, that was the whole idea of like these orgies were basically a way of getting rid of the sex demon was kind of how I pulled into that. And then it is just general, like kind of the atmosphere of that. And then the shape shifting, uh, it could probably be pulled from mine, but I tried to go with a solid three. But there we go. So that was my my so chop shop for the week. You kind of, in terms of blockbuster, you put on your Christopher Nolan hat, but it was instead of Batman Begins, it's Orgies Begin. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So with that said, do you want to jump into some Blue Book? Absolutely. All right. So the market value of this movie came in at a mere $1 million. So the whole budget for this movie, I think it was actually one3 um, with some of the research I got, but we'll just we'll round it down to one million dollars and e- even one million. What do you think this movie grossed U.S. and Canada? Um, I know it was some level of a hit, but I know it was an indie darling. I'll give you this hint. All right. Okay. The movie was slated to go much faster to home release, but it exploded and they decided to go with a much more a, a, a larger theatrical release with it okay uh i'll say 16.8 okay which on a one million dollar budget i feel like it's a big success yep little little bit over your guess it was 14 we'll say 14 Damn. 7 14.7 million dollars is what this grossed us and canada so it <laughs> i think within like its first week's it had already grossed like $10 million or something like that. Like it was insane how quickly, and they were like, okay, well let's go ahead and make this a theatrical release. Let's see. It is, it's opening weekend. Oh, opening weekend doesn't count. Opening weekend, it didn't make a lot. It it only made about $160,000. But I think it was in the first couple weeks, like it almost like multiplied by 10. It's, it's budget made like $10 million. And then they, they continued to, to go after that. So, that said, what do you think it made gross worldwide? All encompassing, where are we at? I mean, you said the original was 14.6, or I mean, US Canada was 14.6? US, US Canada, 14.6. I don't imagine there would be an international boost, so I'll say 15.9. Gross worldwide was basically 22 million. Wow, okay, that's a lot more for an indie American film than I would have anticipated. I, I feel like this is the second coming of the Blair Witch type. Like, again, where it's just like, it was a very low budget that just people latched onto. Because, yeah, it, oh, it made a lot. I don't think you can compare those two. I mean, Blair Witch will always be the one that, like, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, it's the most profitable movie of all time. Yes. So, but again, to that extent, I mean, the movie made 21 times what it cost to make. 22 times what it cost to make. So True. Uh, quite the quite the uh, the gap there. So we got about three segments left. So let's jump into some tag and title. So traditionally, tag and title is where I will uh, research. I will give you three taglines. One tagline is from the movie. One tagline is from a movie I find adjacent, and one tagline is one that I created myself, and you have to tell me which is which. You have to try and detect what is the original tagline. Like last week, this one's going to break break the mold just a little bit. I've got four taglines for you. seven of them this week, Brett? I've got four taglines for you. Only one of them's mine, all right? So you have the, uh, the original tagline of the movie. You have one or two that are adjacent, but one of them I have slightly altered so as to not give it away. All right, and it'll, I'll, it'll make more sense afterward, but I'm going to give you your four taglines. You tell me, what is the tagline for 2014's It Follows? Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. It doesn't think, 
It doesn't feel. It doesn't give up. Pray That's it, Terminator. Pray it forward. And pray is spelt P-R-E-Y. Pray it forward. Innocence dies. It doesn't. And lastly, it takes many forms. Innocence dies. It doesn't. Is yours. Okay. So I think I've got two out of the four out of the way. All right. So the, the last two you have is pray it forward, and it takes many forms. Ooh. Pray it forward could be yours, too. So what I, with the four, it throws me off. What's the extra one? These are just two adjacent movies? There's two adjacents, but one of them I slightly altered so that it wouldn't immediately give it away. Okay, well, I'll pray it forward. Obviously, I think that's another movie adjacent. What was the last one? It takes many forms. I think that's the tagline for the movie. All right, final answers? Yeah, but I bet it takes many forms is the thing. All right, so here we go. All right. The original tagline for the movie was, it doesn't think, it doesn't feel, it doesn't give up. Wait, for It Follows? For It Follows, that is the, and it's the only tagline. It doesn't have any optional taglines. That is the tagline for It Follows. It doesn't think, it doesn't That's feel, so it doesn't give up. That's so lifted from Terminator, it's unbelievable. It Takes Many Forms is from 2017's It. Ah, well done. Pray It Forward was mine. And then Innocence Dies, It Doesn't was the modified. The original tagline was Innocence Dies, Abby Doesn't. And that is from 2010's Let Me In. But I absolutely loved that tagline. I had to modify it, though, so that the Abby part didn't give it away because I thought it fits so well with this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's technically cheating, but that's a great tagline. I told you ahead of time <laughs> what, that I was going to do that. I just had to share that one because, like I said, I couldn't do anything that, like, once I had read that, I was like, oh, I can't really go that any that, that direction because I think Innocence Dies, It Doesn't is so perfect. Um, but, uh, yes, so those were the, the four tags. Hopefully next week I'll get back to just the traditional, you know, D tagline one adjacent one is mine but this one i i really loved the innocent dice but i felt it was cheating if i the only adjacent one was modified so there we go there's my justification for giving you four this week no it made for an incredible tagline so <laughs> you cheated but it was worth it yep Alrighty, sir you want to give us some time capsule yes sir and i'm glad we really have kind of lightly touched on the director uh, well, real quick, I'll set it up. I'll try to be a good host. Time capsule is we take an element of the movie, actor, director, producer, and we just kind of look at what they're doing, past or future. And I chose the director, David Robert Mitchell. Uh, did you look him up at all, Brett? I did. Uh, the only other movie it looked like he had really done was a movie called Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, which was his follow-up to this. And I will say, have you seen it? I have not. 
Um, I'll go ahead and get it out of the way. This guy, David Robert Mitchell, gives me um, the guy who directed Donnie Darko. I know you don't know his name, and I it's slipping my mind right now. I can fill for a moment if you can get his name, Brett. But he debuted with Donnie Darko, which was a smash kind of indie darling. And then he followed up with Southland Tales, Richard which Kelly. was a huge swing. And most people would agree a huge miss. And I think that's what David Robert Mitchell did. He came out of the gate hot with It Follows. Under the Silver Lake is a big swing, and I think it's a big miss because that movie turns into a mess by the end. Um, but it's weird to me that somebody who could make such a splashy debut, because he did one uh, feature before It Follows, which was The Myth of the American Sleepover. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to read the log line for that. It's very brief. Uh, In the tradition of freewheeling tributes to adolescents like Dazed and Confused, the film follows four young people on the last night of summer, their final night of freedom before the new school year starts. It made me wonder if this director is one of those people who had a very certain message, and once he got it out in a couple movies, he doesn't really have anything else, because he doesn't have anything in development. He apparently has some sort of superhero project that was announced over a year ago, but doesn't look to have gone anywhere. And it it's just weird for a, a director to have this level of impact, not only director, but writer, and he's made two films in almost a decade. Yeah, so yeah I, I just wanted to see what you thought about that, because we're looking for our tours, you know, the Dennis Villanueva's, um, the Christopher Nolan's, and it seems like this guy maybe could have been one, but he's got no output. Uh, I mean, I think it's one of the, he could be one of the situations where, because if, and doing a little bit of research on the movie, it seemed like he had this, like, this was based off of, like, as a child, he had dreams of being pursued, and then later in life, he kind of, again, adapted this, you know, I think he tried to retroactively put in the STD type stuff, or, you know, somebody said it, and he's like, that's a great idea, and then latched onto it, but I think it's one of these situations where a lot of times you get to a point where someone has an idea and over time, they've refined and refined and refined to the point where it is is near perfect. And then they make it. And then because they make that splash, people are like, oh, that was great. Now let's hear your next idea. And the problem is the next idea they have might be a, you know, a loose cocktail napkin idea, but they haven't had that years of refinement to really like – that was a passion for him was to tell that story of It Follows. And then now he's just trying to recapture lightning and it's just he's not he needs more time to develop he's not someone who's going to have instantaneously have a great idea he needs to allow it to marinate you know he's he's more of a, a wine than a beer you know you've got to let it age for a while before it's considered matured and good whereas beer you can put that up and get it pretty good and have a ton of different flavors so i i think that's probably where i think he probably falls into i wouldn't be surprised if maybe in a couple years or so he has another idea or writes something that somebody else takes um you just don't want him to turn into an M. Night Shyamalan where it's like oh my god you know just they just keep throwing money and he keeps having just he becomes the the twist guy and it's just like at this point he has no credibility so you hope that he just if he needs to he takes his ideas and matures them the way he needs to so that he does come out with another it follows where it's okay this is actually pretty awesome and you know kind of you know, a, a new tentpole in the genre that, you know, because at that point time, It Follows came out. Like, there weren't any really good horror movies, I think, around that time. You were coming out of the the 
2000-2010 era of just throwing out random garbage that got, you know, 14-year-olds into a movie theater. Yeah, and I mean, not to spoil Under the Silver Lake, but I think what you said is nails it, especially when you look at the, the next film that he does, because that movie starring Andrew Garfield, I won't get into too many spoilers, but what starts out with kind of the same intrigue of It Follows kind of in the third act involves underground bunkers and the Illuminati. And that's all I'll say. Yeah. So that one kind of seems like it, uh, it goes all over the place. Yeah. Like he has a lot of ideas, but to your point, he needs a good long time to edit them. And when you make a, a movie that makes 22 times its budget, best believe studios are going to come to you and they're not going to accept, you know, Hey, another four year wait while you refine this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was my time capsule. I really hope to see more from him. I hope it's not the superhero thing because we, we've got plenty of that, but maybe he can reinvent the superhero genre or not reinvent, but at least put a good spin on it the way he did horror. So that's my time capsule for this week. Very cool. All right. So lastly, let's go ahead and give our, our final opinions here. Um, before we do, like I watched this movie. If you know, if you're listening to this before you watch the movie, I was able to rent this on Amazon. I think you can rent it, rent it for in HD for like four bucks, or you can buy it in HD for five bucks. Honestly, for an extra dollar, it might just be worth having it in your collection. What's a dollar here and there? But um, ultimately, that's where I watched it. Um, I definitely enjoyed it. I think it's it's a fun, it's a good watch. Uh, I don't know if it's, you know, after just saying that, I don't know if it's a movie that I would buy. If it's only an extra buck, I, you know, I did go ahead and purchase it, but, um, I don't, I think it has at least two pieces of rewatchability. After that, I'm not sure how much I would watch this movie again, but I definitely think it's worth the initial watch. And it's definitely one of those movies that if you go back and watch it a second time, there's things that you will pick up on and get a new appreciation for the story being told that you didn't have the first go round. Yeah, well said. Um, I watched it on my Blu-ray copy, so that should tell you a little bit of, of where I fall. But I think you have to ask yourself, if you're a movie buff but you don't necessarily like horror, I personally like to have at least three or four horror movies that way. If I've got friends or family over around Halloween and they want to pop on a scary movie, I've got something that I know I like that I can put on for them. If you're a true horror buff, maybe this movie is not as great for you, but I fall into the former, not the latter. So this is an absolute must-own for me. Um, again, top five horror movie for me, no I, doubt. I, I think if you're going to try and do this as a Venn diagram for me, I think this is a perfect movie to own. To your point, like if you only want a few horror movies in your collection, but just something to round you out so if somebody asks for it, it's great because it's only 90 minutes long. It's not a terribly long movie. Um, it's pretty tight. Um, if you like classic horror, but you've got people who are going to say, like, I hate old movies. Like, I don't like movies that are from the 80s, like, because they look grainy or whatever. Like, this is a great way of watching a classically shot horror movie in a modern three modern technology. So I think it hits that, too. So I, I think there's a couple reasons why if there's there's a reason to purchase and own this movie. Um yeah, that, that's I guess where I would leave it. I think it's definitely worth the watch, and it, you know, depending on on how you like to have your collection. To your point, Travis, I, I think it's worth owning as you know having something there. 
Absolutely. Well, uh, you got anything else before we get out of here? And uh, next week will be Gothica. Not only will Gothica, we'll go ahead and give it a little tease. Oh, We're right. going to have a special edition. We are going to watch Denis 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 Villanova. Um, good old Dennis. It's Dennis um, Villanova. Yeah, that guy. Uh, his uh, his rendition of Dune is coming out. So that will be outside of the uh, seasonally obligated horror trilogy. Um, so you're going to get two episodes next week. So look forward to that. Absolutely. Uh, normally, I like to end these moments with a quote from the movie. This is not a very quotable movie, but I'll uh, I'll leave it with this one. What the fuck, mom? Ah. <laughs> I think I have to take a piss real quick. <laughs> you make me edit this out. Thanks. All right, I'll just go on myself. Hold on. Just like that demon, the first time that you know she's oh. comes to the house. <laughs> Well, I know what's going on at the end of the episode. <laughs> no, but really, I got to piss off. No, right I, I assumed you did, so, yeah. Oh, uh, Brett, I, I'm listing. The problem is I just got a pop-up that says I'm running out of hard drive space. Ooh, so, okay, we're going to need to fast-forward so this, huh? Yep, I'm just trying to rectify that. Uh, you might be able to delete some stuff as we're recording, but all right. So, we'll try and get through these. How's your hardware space? How hard drive space right now? Uh, I freed it enough where we can complete this episode okay. without problem. There we go. There we go. All right. This is a, a peek behind the curtain. The technicalities of recording this. So, oh, you're gonna edit this out? I thought. We'll see. I don't know. At this point, it's been kind of like ingrained into the episode. So, all right. Tag and title. Hey, Brett does not want to spend his time editing out my bullshit, and that's fair. 